Now I got to say something important. We are still in Acts 10. I would say this. We might wonder, this whole story takes a lot of verses. We got all of Acts 10, and if you look at it, Acts 11 is on the same topic, because then Peter has to justify why he did what he did, right? So that tells us that Luke sees this as important. This is central. Why is it important? Because this is how the new covenant is established as fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, and there's a difference. The point in the Old Testament was to keep Israel separate and distinct so that they wouldn't intermingle with all the pagan religions and be absorbed, and thereby the promise to Abraham would be thwarted, right? And God kept his promises through Israel. The law and the, under the Old Covenant was designed to make Israel so eccentric that nobody could get along with them. Okay? They just, it was too hard. They couldn't intermingle. It just was very hard. Now, the point under the New Covenant is that the gospel is to go into the whole world. And that the church cannot be the new Israel. A lot of our Reformed friends are in air about this. and I get emails about it. Because they're saying the church is Israel. Baptism is circumcision. Sunday is Saturday. Everything applies except for the food loss, because that would be too hard to try to say that that applies because Mark 7 says they don't. But the fact is, what they are missing, and I'm responding to some CIC emails now that I've been getting, because people want to join a good church, they find a Bible church, they go to join it, and next thing you know, they're told there's no millennium, you got to baptize your babies, Sunday is Sabbath, Their Sabbath laws applies. We've got to stay separate, separate, separate. John Calvin was not directly inspired by the Holy Spirit. The biblical authors were. We can learn from anybody in church history. But he was wrong about this. And Acts 10 and Acts 11 take up a huge section of the New Testament for a point that God wants the messianic salvation that had been promised to Israel to not just stay in Jerusalem, to not just be bounded around by not only the law of separation, but by huge walls of tradition so nobody can get in. Keep it us for no more parochial, no matter what, just us. We're, we're so different, nobody can even get along with us. And if they even have their own idea We'll kick them out of the church. Whatever the Bible says. You sign on to our parochial creed or you're out. 
I've been hearing from people. I heard from somebody last week that happened to. That's not the point of the new covenant. The point is that God took down the barrier. What does it say in Ephesians? Do you want to look that up? Otherwise, look it up. I'll turn turn to it, yeah. Okay, listen. (laughs) I'm not saying this because I'm angry at anybody. I want to know what God said. And there are enough barriers because of the fact that the only way of salvation is through the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ. The cross is a fence in itself. The cross, dear saints, is enough of an offense. The cross. You don't have to add an offense by saying, oh, by the way, Sunday is the new Sabbath. And if you even do something like stop at a restaurant after church, you're sinning against God. If you buy coffee at the gas station and spend money on Sunday at the way to church, you're sinning against God. If you do this or you do that or if you do anything, you're sinning against God. Because we're the new Israel. There's no millennium. God is not going to keep his promises to Israel. Israel's laws apply to us. We'll tell, uh, tell you what they are. And you do things our way or you're out. I'm God's lawgiver. You submit to me or I tell you you're out. Talked to two people one week that had that happen to. And an email to third, three in one week. These pompous, self-righteous pastors think they're God's lawgivers. And they're going to tell people who love Jesus whose sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus, who want to serve God, who want to hear the word of God, who want the Bible taught to them, who want fellowship, and want to be in the church, and they say, you're out. Because I say so. I'm God's lawgiver. If you're a pastor and you hear me, I'm telling you right now, repent, you are not pleasing God, you're in rebellion against the terms of the new covenant, and God has said that if you come on his terms, through Jesus Christ, and if you love him, and if you're willing to submit to the teachings of Christ and his apostles, and you're willing to serve God on the terms laid out under the covenant you're under, which is the new covenant, you're welcome, you're welcome, come, we'll take care of you, we'll love you, we'll pray for you, we'll be there for you, and you're safe. God help us. And I just, my heart is broken to hear these stories of people thrown out of the church by self-righteous pastors who think that they're God's lawgiver. One person told me they were even told by the pastor the reason they got sick was God was angry at them because they wouldn't listen to this certain pastor. we got to stop. We've got to stop. The whole point of this was that everything in Peter... Everything, everything he knew from his Jewish background, everything he'd been taught, everything he's experienced is saying, stay away from those Gentiles. They're unclean. Even if God saved them, they need to go somewhere else because they're unclean and we can't be with them. We can't eat with them. We'll be defiled. It's all bad. That's what he heard. But God is saying, no, No, Peter, would I have cleansed, let no one 
call unclean. So today, I got one question for those who hear me. If you're cleansed, how was it that you were cleansed? Let's all think about it. If I'm cleansed, how is it? Am I cleansed because I was baptized as a baby and that's my circumcision? No. Am I cleansed because I never once spent any money on a Sunday? No. Am I cleansed because I only use the King James Bible? No. Am I cleansed because I'm a parochial person and I subscribe to some historical creed in that, in that creed but nothing else? No. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that washes white as snow. And my dear brothers and sisters, my heart is broken. By his providence, I heard the same story from three sources in one week. A people rejected by the church because they don't submit to a man-made law that God never gave. If God really wanted the church to be the new Israel, all he had to do is just keep the food laws, the circumcision law, and the Sabbath law, and that kept them separate. But God wants the church to be salt and light and to go into every corner of the world. And if we go somewhere, our message is, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Believe on him. Trust on him. Repent and believe the gospel. And if he accepts you, then you're one of us. And we love you. Go ahead. Is that what you wanted? Yeah. Eric called the higher duty. He has one. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Amen. So God is breaking down enmity. We all have our traditions. We all have things that are important to us. I understand that. But and God's been dealing with me about keeping my mouth shut about my opinions. My opinions mean nothing unless I'm telling you what God said. So I need to just focus on this. What baseball team I root for doesn't mean anything. I know I root for an evil team, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can... Do what you want with sports teams, how you, what kind of colors you like to dress in, what kind of cars you like to drive, what kind of politicians you want to vote for. We have certain freedom in Christ. But what God said, he said, and there can never be a barrier put up because God did all of this. He, all of this, these miracles he did with Peter. He brought all these things together, visions, angels, Works of God, providence, scripture. And when it all comes together, what's the point? God is going to save Gentiles. And when he does, he wants these Jewish Christians to open their arms, to bring them together. 
to sit down at the table, to break bread, and to love Jesus together. And it's a big deal. And we can't make our own barriers because we're self-righteous and we think we're better than ordinary Christians. Dan, could you see if that mic actually works? Okay, could you read our text, 34 to 43? So thank you for bearing with me. But this is a direct application of our text. If God receives somebody, we need to do the same. Okay, uh, Acts ten thirty four. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which, which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in, in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been anointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Wow. You would not imagine if you do a search from the word forgiveness in the New Testament how important it is. Forgiveness of sins is what we need. And God is not one who shows partiality. Notice Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. And uh, partiality is an interesting word. It, It has to do in Greek with Receiving the face, receiving the face, prosopon, face, labano, there's a compound word, receive. So somebody comes along and you see them, oh, look at that. Somebody you don't know, oh, look at that. Somebody who's Dutch, yay. Somebody else comes along, oh no, it's a Swede. Okay, that's not the way the church is. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter how bad it was. And if you failed God in many ways, so did everybody else. But if you come to God in Christ, God does not show partiality. 
Have you ever looked that word up, partiality, the prosopon, lumbano? Yeah, the phase. So you see that in, in James. Remember somebody comes in. This was economic. Fine ring. I got a fine ring. I paid $44 in 1969. <laughs> and, oh, look at that. Oh, yeah, receive. That was a big deal in a shame honor society. But for the church to be the church, we can't do that. Somebody comes and whatever the case, the one thing that cannot be compromised is Christ and the gospel. The terms of the gospel. Somebody comes and says, I don't believe there's such a thing as, uh, as hell. And if you're going to say there is, I won't go to your church. Say, well, I can't help you. I can't. I got to preach what God said. I have no authority to change this. I can't change anything. God has spoken. God cannot lie. And God says what he says. Okay? But... If you're willing to come on his terms, it doesn't matter what country you're from, your gender, how bad your sin was. Remember Luke 7, a woman who was a harlot from the street, weeping on Jesus' feet. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. How about you, my dear friends? Are your sins forgiven? Amen. Were they forgiven? Because God decided that whatever you did wasn't so bad. Were they forgiven? Because Jesus paid the price in full. Amen. That's the great thing about the gospel. When I was converted, it was in a little Pentecostal church in northwest Iowa. They had no reason to want anything to do with me because I hated Christ and I fought against what they were doing. But when I came to Christ, they took me in with open arms. God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. All the supernatural arrangements bring about this moment. It's one thing for the Ethiopian to go on his way, saved to the ends of the earth. It's another for there to be Gentiles in the church in full fellowship. This is the problem to be solved. And God is going to do so through Peter. Eric, do you have anything to add to this? I'll give you a little rest here. I know that you guys cited that Ephesians 2 passage. Yes. And in that passage, it talks about this balustrade, the wall that was removed. And I think the image that Paul has in his mind is there used to be in the temple a balustrade that separated the court of the Gentiles from where the Jews could be. So these people were separated out. Well, it's interesting as he qualifies in verse 15 what that wall of separation was. It was the commandments. It was the Mosaic Covenant. So it's very interesting is if you and I start showing partiality, we're rebuilding a balustrade that separates some people from God and under terms that God hasn't ordained. So, for example, if you say, well, if someone can't have fellowship with me, 
because they won't remain kosher. Well, that's the balustrade that God removed. You're building it up again. Or if we show partiality, as Bob's pointing out, because of wealth, well, that's a separation that God hasn't created. You're creating a balustrade. So that's an image we have to, in our, have to have in our mind, I think, from Ephesians 2, is the barrier that God tore down. We don't want to build it back up again Amen. to separate people that should have access to God. Right. And Acts 11 will reinforce this because Peter comes under questioning. Somebody, uh, Eric, you have some, do you have the mic too? I'll have a verse for you, and then you can say what or ask what you want. Could you read Acts fifteen nine? Acts fifteen nine. This is the Jerusalem Council, and this is what Peter learned from this whole thing. Okay, uh, here it is, Acts fifteen nine, and he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. So God, he God. what did God do? He cleansed their hearts by faith. What do we need God to do for us? Cleanse our hearts by faith. I, I just need a point of clarification from either one of you. Could you tell me the difference between what you were just talking about and the whole idea of tolerance of our culture? Uh, we don't want to build up a balustrade artificially, but we do need I just need a point of clarification. Yeah, Yeah, and I think that's exactly what Bob was alluding to, Paul. He was saying, look, if someone says, I don't want to hear the doctrine of hell, well, that's something that God has, in fact, taught in Scripture. So what we have to think about is we're new covenant Christians. We're bound under the law of Christ to every single law that he has given to us through him and his apostles. He's the lawgiver. He was stated as being the lawgiver. So when the culture wants us to compromise on essentials that are taught in Scripture, we have to say no. But where is it taught that we have to separate over things like how wealthy someone is or over what kind of food they eat or whether or not they hold to Sabbath on Sunday? We've laid out numerous times. We see in, uh, for example, Hebrews 4, that true Sabbath rest is found in Christ. And so what I'm saying is we don't want to excommunicate someone over what the, they're not bound to in Scripture. We have to do binding and loosing according to what the Scriptures say, not according to something that we've come up with in our own minds. I think that's what uh, Bob is getting at yes. here. So. Uh, and, and actually, Eric, you, you just alluded to this. It, we get into so much com- confusion when we, we've got to realize what covenant we are under. We're not under the Mosaic Covenant, and it is not because God changed his mind. There's all kinds of prophecy, and we've talked about it before in other classes. The Mosaic Covenant, God knew that the chosen people because they're humans, not because Jews are bad people or anything like that, that they would not be able to keep that covenant. And that was a conditional covenant, and it was to, it was to redeem those people, and there was, the, there was the provision for the forgiveness of sins through the sacrifice of blood. And so we have a new covenant, and God, in Acts here, God is really just laying it out for Peter very clearly, because we, we human beings, we, we take a little, it takes a while for us to, for things to sink in. <laughs> but but we got to remember the new covenant, that's where there's a lot of confusion. People try to add uh, as if we're still under the Mosaic covenant. I think that's really what it is, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. You know, Bob, you made a good comment once, and it, this addresses your, your kind of your comment, Eric. We were on the radio once, and we were discussing how is it that the Mormons are wrong? When the Mormons say, well, look, Joseph Smith is a prophet from God, 
Well, it's very interesting is we'll say, well, Jesus Christ is the prophet of God. Well, how do we know that he's the prophet and Joseph Smith isn't? Well, it's interesting in Deuteronomy 18, there was a provision for the replacement of the Mosaic Covenant. So the Mosaic Covenant was a covenant that had a provision in it that it would be replaced. God was going to raise up a prophet from the countrymen of Israel that would be, and if they didn't listen to him, it would be required of them. But once he comes on the scene and God says from heaven, this is my beloved son, listen to him, there's no more. And that's why now we have a faith once for all handed down to the saints. That's why Joseph Smith is a $3 bill. And Jesus Christ is forever the, the, the head of the new covenant. Yeah. Amen. Moses was there at Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, I need a reader. Mike, Deuteronomy 10, 17. Deuteronomy 10, 17? Yes. All right. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. Okay, so the idea of not showing partiality is grounded in God's character. The word for partiality, as I said, prosopon and lambano, compound word, a receiver of face. A receiver of face. Anyone who comes to God on his terms is welcome. And it's not meaning that his terms are nothing. They're very specific. You come by faith in Christ. Yes. Um, if I could go to 18, because if we're talking about partiality, and on 18 he, he just says he executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and he is one who loves the alien to give them food and clothing, and you shall love the alien. That's one of the verses that they use for social justice, isn't it, Bob? Well, you mean in, in, Today, in America? Today, as far as supporting social justice. with Okay, that. well, let's just get some categories right. America is not Israel, and being American doesn't save you. Are you shocked? Are you a Christian? Oh, yes. I was born in Iowa. This means that as the gospel goes out, it is for everyone. Salvation is in Christ. Nations have their own boundaries, and they're responsible to rule according to how they see fit. Romans 13. But in the history of America, there's a long tradition that America is the new Israel. That America has some covenant with God and that God has sent prophets to America. Which, who is that? Joseph Smith? No. See, everybody wants to be the prophet of God. Now, we're blessed to be in a nation that gives us the freedom to preach the gospel. That's what we're asking for. Israel was God's covenant nation, and they were to show mercy to aliens. But aliens that came to Israel, 
had to what? They had to abide by the rules of Israel. America is not Israel. I don't know why that's so shocking to people. How would you ever think America is Israel? People who believe in Israel think America is Israel. And I challenge them. Where does it say America is Israel? Well, not exactly. Well, America has a covenant with God. Well, how do you know that? Well, because here they read a document where some men said we made a covenant with God. But I say, where did God agree to it? The Bible has unilateral covenants. God makes them. But man cannot make a unilateral covenant with God. If we could, we could control God. We could say, okay, God, I'm making a deal with you. I'm going to whatever it is you think God would be happy with. People do this. I'm going to uh, quit swearing or whatever. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to give a whole bunch of money to some group. That's the covenant. But if I do that, then you're obligated to give me a brand new car. Can man make a covenant and obligate God to it? Who said no? You're right. So I've challenged some of these people who claim America's Israel. Say, where did God agree? Well, he doesn't have to. We can obligate God unilaterally. No. The covenants are in the Bible, right? Okay. So let's be concerned about how the gospel goes out. The gospel is for widows, orphans, the poor, people of all nations, people, no matter how sinful they've been in the past, if they're willing to come to God. That message is so clear in Luke Acts. God receives sinners. God is no respecter of persons. God doesn't show partiality. He doesn't receive the face. And even in the church, we are tempted. James talks about it. Somebody comes to you, and they got money, and they're well-dressed. It's obvious they could probably buy you a new church building. And you say, oh, come in here, sit in its place of honor. Remember that honor, shame, society? Oh, honor, 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 you got money. Here, sit here, sit here. You, you, you're important. Somebody else comes in, ragtag, hurting, nothing to offer. Sit over there. Do not bother us. And... James said, you are judges with evil motives. Don't do that. Don't do that. I'm glad God receives sinners. You know why? I wouldn't be here. Would you be here? No. God receives sinners. He doesn't care what you look like. If you're so old, you couldn't possibly help anybody. He'll receive you. If you're so young, somebody else has got to take care of you. He'll receive you. God receives sinners. Um, Bob, can I just kind of simplify down that question that, that Tom was asking? So I, I'm gathering that you're saying that was spoken to the, Israel of, or to the nation of Israel by God to receive the aliens and give them food and clothing, but he doesn't talk to America or any other nation that way. Churches. However, 
there are passages in the New Testament that do talk about loving your enemy and those sorts of things. Those things we are held to, and those apply as individuals to where God brings those people into our lives. Is that Yes, correct? and churches. See, churches have always done this. Have, if you go back, as long as there's been churches anywhere, churches that believe the gospel do care for the aliens and the poor. And churches stand up, if nobody else does, for the unborn, right? And we care about life. We care about people. And we want to help people. And we want to be there for people, okay? If you want to read an interesting book that's a secular book, but a good history of America, read Hellfire Nation by a guy named, I think, Marone or whatever. Have you read that? Yeah, Hellfire Nation. And all of the political debates in America, he says, boil down to the idea that God's angry with America because of the sinners. And if the sinners would just repent and and get things right, God would bless America. But for 300 years, we've never agreed on who the sinners are. And so we're always... Uh, he's this guy, interesting book if you want to read it. I'm not claiming it's a Christian book. One side said the sinners, like that verse we talked about, the orphans and the aliens, the sinners are anybody who doesn't believe in socialism. And there's our verses to prove they're the sinners. The other side said the sinners are anybody who allows loose morals, like gay rights and things like that. And the debate is always a theological debate. There's both sides of the debate agree that America is the new Israel. But we just can't agree on who's the sinners. And that America should do this or America should do that. So God would be happy with us. Can you you read the book. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, you're exactly right. And, you know, regarding Tom's issue, what's interesting in the social justice movement, what they want is you to be generous with other people's money. So what they want is legislation, yeah, where you take other people's money and you're generous with it. What's interesting in their new covenant, religion that God accepts is that we take care of widows and orphans. So this is in some sense reiterated under the new covenant. But what's interesting is it's for the people of God. So in Matthew 25, when Jesus says, when you've done this to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me, two points. One, we do it. We don't have some other taxpayer do it through legislation. Number two, it's to the brethren. Well, the brethren are believers. So when the social justice guy cites Matthew 25, I always ask, well, are you claiming then that we have to evangelize every person? Because when we do it to the least of these, my brethren... Or specifically, according to Jesus, doing it to those who believe in Jesus Christ. Well, of course, guys like uh, Jim Wallace and that, they don't want anyone to believe in Jesus Christ that way. So, yeah, I think that's the big issue. Does God consider it a virtue when we're generous with our money or with other people's money? And that's the big problem with social justice. Really getting on this one. I've got just one other comment, too. And, and, uh, uh, you know, in Israel, which, of course, we know that that's, a false parallel because America is not Israel. We've already established that. But, uh, you know, in the, in the, uh, the 
kingdom of Israel, Judah and Israel. You know, they, there was all kinds of things that the alien was not allowed to do as well. So the social justice warriors, they would like us to just abandon the concept of borders and, and literally, you know, it's it just, if you really want to try to draw that parallel and you really seriously want to look at what ancient Israel did, you know, they were kind to the alien and compassionate, but the alien had a lot of things that they could not do. The alien could not go into the temple and, and other things. So that was a theocracy. Uh, it's, a, it's just a false narrative in so many yeah. ways. You know, if we just keep straight, the church is the church, and civil government is civil government. And we're to pay taxes. We're obligated to pay our taxes and to pray for civil authorities. Am I right? Now, that's how we relate. As far as boundaries, we've had covered this before. God draws boundaries. This whole get rid of all the boundaries, not God's idea. It's not how he runs the world. Until he removes the restraint and the Antichrist comes. Now let's get back to us. This is what we learned. We don't receive the face. We've got just as much time and care and compassion for the poorest person or the oldest person or the seemingly unimportant person than we'd ever have for somebody that looks like they could help us. Because that's not good motives, according to James. Now, when it comes to the gospel, it's the same thing. We go with the gospel into the whole world. That's who God wants us to preach to. Okay, Eric, go read 36 and 37. You can read it off here if you want. This is the word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. Right, the word for preaching, I have on my slide, euangelizo, means gospeling. Gospeling, peace, shalom in the Old Testament. What did shalom mean in the Old Testament? Peace and uh, welfare, salvation, salvation, not at uh, being enemies of God, etc. Right, peace with God is salvation. I need a reader. Tom, you got a great voice compared to me, but that's not a very high standard. <laughs> Isaiah 52, 7 for Tom. Here's a mic for you. How delightful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns yeah. as a king. Your God reigns. Announces peace. If you go to the Greek Old Testament, you have euangelizo. And so, and arena, Greek for peace. So this idea here, preaching peace, comes right out of Isaiah 52, 7. And uh, I wanted to cite my favorite teacher of Luke-Acts, Dr. Tannehill, he says this, quote, he is Lord of all, expresses Peter's new 
insight in verse 36 is probably also the main statement in the verse, not a parenthetical remark. Although there are several possible solutions, there's a grammatical issue. He says, here's how we solve it. And he gives this reading. With respect to the word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Messiah. He is Lord of all. So that's what it means. So we have an Old Testament idea fulfilled in the new. Now, Tim, do you want to do some reading? Luke 2, 10 through 14. Luke 2, 10 through 14. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Listen carefully, for I proclaim to you good news that brings great joy to all people. Today your Savior is born in the city of David. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly a vast heavenly army appeared with the angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among people with whom he is pleased. Yeah, among whom people whom he's pleased. So there's salvation. Announcing peace means to announce salvation. To evangelize salvation. This was all public knowledge. Verse 38, important verse. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. The word anointed means this is indeed the Messiah. The term Christos means anointed. Ha Christos is the anointed one. The key passage in Luke that sets the stage for this is Luke 4, 18 and 19, which cites Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. I've said many times, Luke 4, 18 and 19 is programmatic for Luke. Acts 1, 8, programmatic for Acts. Luke 4, 18 and 19 says this. Jesus said this in his hometown. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release. Aphasis. That means forgiveness. Release to the captives. The recovery of sight to the blind. To set free those who are oppressed. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Which, by the way, is the year of Jubilee. Everybody gets free. All your debts are removed. Now, that was great news. Jesus says, I'm here to announce was predicted in Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And they all got excited. No. What did they end up doing? They were going to throw him off a cliff. Oh, I see. 
That's all we wanted to hear. They didn't, they didn't like it. Likewise, in John, they didn't like it. They wanted to be rid of him. Remember John 6? They all got mad. We don't want to hear this. Remember John 8? We've never, we don't need freedom. We were never in bondage. We're perfectly happy the way we are. But the fact that his hometown rejected him didn't stop God's plan. Peter showing up through many works of God here to preach the gospel to these Gentiles is a fulfillment of Luke 4, 18 and 19, yea, even of Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. So the anointed one is Messiah. That's an Old Testament idea, Psalm 45, 7. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. That's cited as in Hebrews 1 and verse 9 as having been fulfilled in Christ. Christ is the anointed one. He's uniquely the anointed one. All Christians are anointed, but only Jesus is the anointed one. All Christians are priests to God. Only Jesus is the high priest. You see these people come on TV and they claim, here is the great anointed man of God. Oh, really? I thought Jesus was the anointed one. And the word for doing good, when about doing good, Greek word means benefaction. He brought benefit. To who? Healing all who were oppressed by the devil. The word oppressed, karadunasteyo, it's a long word, karadunasteyo, can be translated tyrannized. Tyrannized. Did you know whether we thought we were okay or not? Before we came to Christ, Every one of us was tyrannized by the devil. And in God's providence, it may have been a good thing if we figured out that we were. So we'll listen to Christ. The self-satisfied don't see a need for Christ. Tyrannized by the devil. 1039 of Acts. We are witnesses of all the things which he did both in the land of Jews and Jerusalem. They also put him to death, hanging him on a cross. Now this is not the normal word for cross in the Greek. The word is zulon and it's wood. Peter said they hung him on Wood or a tree. Now, why not just say cross? There's a word for it, staros. But instead, Peter says wood. Has anybody got any idea why Peter would say wood? Well, I'll answer. To show that scripture was fulfilled. Scripture was fulfilled. I need a reader. 
There we go, Eric back there. Uh, Deuteronomy 21, 23. Uh, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Yeah, don't let him hang on a tree. Cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. Don't let him hang on a tree overnight. Bury him. Jesus hung on a tree. What was he doing hanging on a tree? Bearing the curse for us. Cursed is he who hangs on, in the Greek, zulon, wood. There's a reference, instead of using cross, it's wood. It reminds me of uh, Genesis 22 when Isaac is brought up the mountain. He has wood on his back. Yes, yes, yes. And um, so there may be another reference. That's a good reading. Yeah. Free coffee? Yeah. <laughs> no, you don't want mine. <laughs> Very good reading. Genesis 22. The wood. Father, where's the sacrifice? What did Abraham say? Yahweh will provide. God will provide the sacrifice. And the provision of God was Jesus, the Messiah, who died for the sins of the whole world. Acts 5.30, I'm quoting the Lexham English Bible. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you killed, hanging him on a tree. Zulon, wood. Being how, Eric, you got your own mic, and you're preaching Revelation, Please read Revelation 22, 2. Sure. Very fitting reference here. Revelation 22, 2. I'll just read uh, verse 1. I can't find 2. It says, Then the angel showed me the river, the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city also on either side of the river. The tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding fruit, or excuse me, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations. Wow. Zulong. Yeah. Wood. Zulong. We, we sing a song, don't we, that the tree became a tree of life for me? Isn't that one of the songs so. we sing? I think so. Yeah, and that's a good so, reference. Right there's there. a full, in Revelation, there's wood, Zulong, there's life for the nations. It's a reference back to the cross. The tree of life for me. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. 40 and 41. God raised him up on the third day, granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. So these were witnesses of the bodily resurrected Christ who ate with them who drank with them they touched him First John 1 our hands we saw our hands handled the word of life that we declare to you remember Thomas doubting Thomas he's called did he not touch the real resurrection body of Jesus with the real wounds and what did Thomas say 
my Lord and my God. Every week and every month and every year, I get more excited about the gospel. I can't believe that God would allow me to participate in this. I really, it's a really amazing thing that we can be part of it, any one of us, that we can be part of it, that we can know each other, we can know the Lord, we can know true fellowship, that we can know the forgiveness of sins, that we can share in table fellowship, and that we can look forward to one day sitting down at the marriage supper of the Lamb with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God. And it's greater than any benefit this world has to offer anybody. Now, according, let me find another reader. Nancy, could you look up Acts 17.31? Acts 17.31. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. There's your proof. The proof is for everybody. These are the witnesses. We need to listen to their witness, which is found in the scriptures. Acts 10.42, Peter said, now remember, he's preaching to Gentiles. Because God sent him there. And he ordered us to preach to the people. And solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Who is the judge? Messiah. Jesus commissioned them. He said in Luke 24, 47 and 48, that repentance for forgiveness, there's our word, release, Forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Jesus commissioned witnesses to go preach. If we don't preach repentance for forgiveness of sins, we are failing God. Yes, we we have to. We have to. It should never happen that huge movements with millions of followers have no plan whatsoever for forgiveness of sins. Never in my life will I forget Chris Roseborough staring at Rick Warren in person and saying, What do you have for forgiveness of sins? I haven't heard that in four days of your conference. What do you have? Blank stare, no answer. You would think he'd at least know the right answer. The blood of Jesus washes away sins. Or something, nothing. Where do we find forgiveness of sins? Why would you not have a plan for that? Because there's only one plan. It's God's plan. And it's a man, Jesus, who was hung on a tree, 
crucified Jewish Messiah. If you want to be popular with the world, that won't help. But if you want to be faithful to God, you preach in terms of forgiveness for sins. Jesus has been given authority to execute judgment. We need, uh, Eric, could you read John 5, 27 through 29? It says, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Who's the son of man? Where's that? What's that about, Eric? Yeah, that's Jesus, and that's a reference to Daniel 7. Daniel 7. He's the one who has authority to rule. The son of man. Well, I got one more slide, but that's okay. I'm going to be teaching Sunday school in a few weeks, and I have another PowerPoint ready for that. And we'll just do this last slide, and then... We'll have the handouts for the next week. We'll do that all in a few weeks. But, uh, Eric, could you close us in prayer? Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that you did send your son to be a curse for us. And we do pray, Lord, that you would give us ample opportunity and boldness to be proclaimers of this glorious gospel. We thank you for our our teacher, Bob. We pray for healing upon his voice. Uh, We pray, Lord, that we'd have a, a blessed day and hear what you have to say through us further through the word, that you'd protect us as we go and keep us until next time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.